0: It's the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast with your hosts, The Wolf and Action Jackson, who are keeping rock alive by talking classic rock, hard rock, progressive rock, heavy metal, 80s music, early MTV, UK versus US chart success, and much more. This is the home of classic album and live concert reviews and your place for interviews with artists and legends. You're rocking with The Wolf. Hey, out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 162nd edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. The Wolf. And I will be joined, as always, by my partner in crime from the East Coast of the United States of America, Gary Action Jackson. And we appreciate you tuning in 2023. We had a great year on the show, reached a lot of new listeners from all over the world, heard some great stories on the show, and we really appreciate all your support. So hopefully you listened to our parts one and two of 2023 in review and caught our most recent episode of First Concert Memories, our new monthly sidecast, where we talk to people about how seeing a live band changed their lives. And number six with Marcus the Darkest Goldman from WMMR in Philadelphia was amazing. And that he was at the U2 concert live at Red Rocks, where they filled not only the Sunday Bloody Sunday video, but the Under a Blood Red Sky VHS. A fantastic time talking with Marcus, and it's amazing because we have seen the show that he was at. So many of us have around the world as it was broadcast all over MTV and sold as VHS and DVDs eventually. But to kick off 2024, as you know, we do a lot of album reviews as an album hits a big anniversary. And being that we grew up mostly in the 80s, from the time we were about 7 to about 17 or 18, a lot of our big reviews and bands that we love were prominent in the 80s. And in 1984, an album came out that really changed the lives of a lot of people, turned a lot of kids onto hard rock and roll, helped MTV become even more popular than ever, and really set the tone for the rest of the decade. That's Van Halen's 1984, with the huge mega hits like Jump and Panama. And I'd say Hot for Teacher is a big hit, may not have gone up the charts, but if you watched MTV, you'd have thought it was a top 10 hit as much as they played that. And there's good reason for that if you've seen the video. And if you haven't, my goodness, get to YouTube and see it right now. Well, maybe finish listening to our show, but then go see it right away. It would prove to be David Lee Roth's last with the record. Even producer Ted Templeman had to take a little break from the boys after this one. But it blew up. It's a diamond seller. Despite the controversial cover, despite the fact that the band weren't getting along this album was huge you couldn't get away from it this summer of 1984 nor did you really want to hit number two on the charts just couldn't get past michael jackson's thriller but that doesn't make it different from most other albums around that time but we have very fond memories of watching this on mtv growing up getting the cassette listening to it front to back and maybe skipping the song or two occasionally but we're going to get into all that on the show now, just a bit of business before that, we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a network of about 100 different shows, music-related, really is something in there for everyone. Check them out at pantheonpodcast.com or follow at Pantheon Pods. And please be sure to check out our amazing sponsor, rarevinyl.com. Rarevinyl.com is based in the UK, folks, but they ship all around the world with over 250,000 items in stock. And we saw a lot of orders over the holidays. That was great. We really appreciate everyone who made orders using the code UGLY, because not only does it save you 10% on the entirety of your order, but it helps support the show. And not only will giving us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast help support the show, but if you go to rarevinyl.com, find that rare first edition or import or picture disc or box set or whatever it is you may be looking for, find that, use code UGLY and save 10% that helps us a lot too so we thank the good folks at rarevinyl.com we hope they are recovering after a busy holiday season and just want to remind you hey you get that christmas bonus did you not get everything you want for christmas or for the holidays hey go to rarevinyl.com use code ugly get what you want and save yourself 10 percent along the way now back to 1984 you have to understand that as 10 year olds we didn't know the whole van halen story as far as we knew 1984 was the first album they ever made well, it wasn't. It was their sixth. And obviously, we've done reviews on albums that came before it, like Diver Down and like the Extraordinary Debut album from 1978. So it's hard to separate the nostalgia of being young and seeing these songs on MTV and hearing them on the radio and keep them separate from the adults that we are and all the music that we've heard since and everything that we know about the band and how the record was made. But we're going to try to dig into all that on this show. It's it's going to be a longer one. It's a big way to kick off 2024. It's us doing Van Halen it's 1984 track by track as it turns 40 right here on the wolf enough with the pleasantries man we got a lot of stuff to go over here yeah this one is uh There's chock full of goodness on this thing. Just crazy craziness. And of course, I thought I would listen to it as one does when they're preparing. Mm -hmm. And I know you know that sometimes when I was young, I had to determine if if an album was CD worthy, kind of like Elaine would. Determined if people were sponge worthy on Seinfeld, because that's the difference between eight bucks and 15 bucks. So if it's Mm -hmm. something I'm taking a flyer on, I might just get it on tape. If it's something I know I'm going to love or it's a classic, I'll get it on CD. But because I didn't get a CD player till I was like 15 or something like that, Mm -hmm. I had all these tapes and I wouldn't replace the tapes that I had, it's like, look, I already have those. I can still play those. I can play them in the car. So I'm not going to replace those. I'm just going to buy new stuff on CDs. But then actually, as I got older, I would buy them uh, on CD so I could hear Ooh. them on the CD player or take them in the car in the CD player or, you know, I'm a sucker for a good reissue and a good remaster as long as it had like new tracks on it or whatever. So sometimes I would do it that way. But I do not have 1984 on CD. I only have the original cassette that I got in the summer of 1984 when Panama was all over the charts. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I said, this can't be right. So I go look in the V's in the CD section behind me here. Yeah. Got everything they made from the first one through right here right now live plus a couple of live albums plus i guess i have that different kind of truth don't have this on cd because van halen famously never does any reissues there's it never gives you any like new stuff yeah that's a shame well i tell wolfie to get on it but you know what he's got good stuff going on his own
2: yeah i wonder too who i'm i don't know who has the final say i would guess it's al at this point in time i don't know how much power in the relationship wolfie has
0: uh <sighs> Yeah, and but the fact of the matter is back in the day all the writing credits were shared equally.
2: Well, we will I mean, we'll definitely get into that.
0: <laughs> but technically that's not the way it is
2: anymore. So, <laughs> right. Right. So, I mean, it seems like at this point in time it was really the best of times and the worst of times for these people because they I mean they were riding high. This album would become ginormous. But yet there was some real, even though they'd kind of gone through ups and downs. Like, I mean, they were really at the end of the rope at this point in time, not only with the band, but like with everybody involved up to and including Ted Templeman.
0: Yeah. Which is too bad because Templeman was a huge part of creating their sound. Right. So, yeah. So what do we do? Well, we kind of say, all right, what state was the band in? Where were they kind of Mm -hmm. at the time, as we did in 20, as we told people in 2021, when we did our diver down. Review. Basically, the story on Diver Down was they did the Pretty Woman cover, the album, uh, and, it, and it hit the charts. The record company liked it so much, they're like, You've got to give us an album. They're supposed to take a break. They didn't. Mm-mm. So they went and cranked out Diver Down and not a lot of time. There's a lot of covers on it. It's only 31 minutes. Some people complain about it, but there's still a lot of great Van Halen magic on it. And they did get to do a great tour of it. I think they also opened for the Stones during their 82 tour. Okay. Yeah. But then it was like, okay, now we're going to do the next album. Right. And Eddie, who was upset that, Ted and Dave were like, telling him you can't do that keyboard stuff or get those synths out of here and stuff like that. He's like, well, some of this stuff is good. So he went and built 5150 studios mm-hmm. at his house and that made it easier for him to go in there and fool around and record stuff and develop some ideas. Right. And a lot of people say that was the reason that this album became so big because he could take his time and do it right. And he gets an idea at two in the morning. He just runs out there and works on it for
1: a while, mm-hmm. you know?
2: Yeah, which is exactly what he does. There was that story of Sammy Hagar telling about, I think it was uh Finish What You Started, where he's yelling at him at two o'clock in the morning, hey, you know, from the back lawn, <laughs> come to listen to what I've done. Like that's just his deal. Like he I don't think he really had a concept of, you know, nine to five, what's when it when inspiration struck him, I can imagine he would be in that place at all hours of the night, doing whatever he wanted to.
0: That's right. And that's what you should do. I mean, you know, Keith Richards gets this riff in his head in the middle of the night. All right, wake up. Put it Mm -hmm. onto a recorder, go back to sleep, play it the next day. Hey, what's this? Well, it's just a little tune called satisfaction, nothing concerned about.
2: I got a thousand more of these don't worry about it
0: so this van halen 1984 with the roman numerals on it spelling out Mm -hmm. 1984 which i knew how to read because i was a big super bowl fan and still am. (laughs) (laughs) but it's got a controversial cover doesn't it it's got a cherub Mm -hmm. or an angel smoking a cigarette with a couple of cigarette packs in front of it and that got banned or like it you know you maybe some places in america where the christians don't like that they would cover up the album in london Mm -hmm. they put big stickers over the cigarettes over the cigarettes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, that was always a, a cool thing too. Cause I mean, it didn't really have anything to do with anything. I mean, it was, a, it was, you know, yeah. what's going on here? Is it a baby? No, it's not a baby. It's a cherub. What does it have to do with 1984? I have no idea, but just, it, it's extremely iconic and i don't remember now was it was it existing or did they commission that
0: oh uh, there was notes on here let me see well you know it was directed by richard serini and pete anglis anglis who directed some of their videos Mm. and was painted by graphic artist margot nahas and then i guess this serini guy had collected some of her artists i'm sorry a, a number of like artist portfolios for the band to check out, including this Nahas woman. And, you know, she had at least, she had originally been asked to create a cover of four chrome women dancing, mm-hmm. but she didn't want to do that due to the creative difficulty of actually making that happen. And so they created material. And so uh, she had, what's a putto? Easy. Yeah. It's depicted as a chubby male child, usually naked and very often wing. Okay. I would call it a cherub, but yeah. apparently putto is a thing. All right. And the model was Carter Helm. Who's a child of one of Naha's best friends, whom she photographed holding one of those candy cigarettes that we used to get in the dime store mm-hmm. back in the day. Yeah. So it
2: was okay, so it was existing and they saw it and said, We want this. I guess so. Okay. I'm just curious. Yeah. So I mean it's it's it is cool because it's probably, I'm trying to think now. That was probably the best cover they'd had. I mean Fair Warning is cool because that's a that's a painting. That was an existing deal. But like Diver Down is just the diver right flag.
0: Women uh, and children first is the guys. It, but it's black yeah. and white. Yeah. The the second album is that was a little half hearted. Yeah. I was like what no the first album cover I love because they're all on there and they're all in color and they're all doing their thing. Mm-hmm. And it's got the Van Halen logo, but just the Van Halen logo on the second album. Like, yeah, that you know, that's not you don't get any points for that, guys. <laughs> so yeah, so this was good, but I mean, you know, for moms in the suburbs, like, what is that? Is that yeah. smoking? Right. Why do you want that? Like, well, I don't know. Just sounds good. <laughs> is that a put? <laughs> this was one of the one of the first ten cassettes I ever got.
2: Yeah, I can imagine because I mean that this hit at exactly the right time where you know you were you were starting to get into music this was new and for as far as like economic investment you couldn't go wrong because you already knew there were there were three huge songs on it already
0: and i may have gotten it for my 11th birthday which was the summer of 1984 i don't recall a hundred percent but i mean i know that it never quite made it to number one it was number two for five or six weeks and couldn't get over thriller which mm. was the first cassette i ever got so yeah no and and the sound was like now here's the thing you and i we hadn't heard the first album yet i hadn't heard any of it i don't think i had heard pretty woman which would have been you know the album previous and a fairly big hit and a cover from which i had already heard the original by roy orbison so i didn't know who van halen were mm, until the yeah, no, no jump mm. you're then, in the same I, boat
2: Yeah, and and then there was the, you know, then it goes to the rumor mill of, well, yeah, you know they've had other albums, and, yeah, nobody had ever heard them before that I knew.
0: Well, exactly, yeah, no, not at all. So mtv and jump is the first single it comes out in december of 83 now i've read stories
2: and and i'm, I'm going to stop you right there because that's the problem with this record in this whole time is everybody's got a story no two <laughs> of them are exactly the same and it's yeah. very convoluted as far as what was happening and person a will tell you oh it was like this and person b will say no 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 it was this other thing happened so yeah go ahead with your
0: story my story so my story is i've heard that you know they named it 1984 i think because you know of the george orwell novel and yeah um, they they want to call oh my god we're here in 1984 let's call our album 1984. and they the band really wanted to release it new year's eve in 1983. Mm -hmm. of course the record company said it's the dumbest thing i've ever heard First of all, you know, name it out in nineteen eighty four and release it nineteen eighty three. Secondly, why would we release it on New Year's Eve? You know, that doesn't make any sense. No one's gonna be buying it. You know. A- we can't do a huge run up between Christmas and New Year's. You know, people are doing other things or, and I, and I heard that, you know, one of their managers, I don't know if it was, I don't know who it was. But I said, okay, boys. Yeah, sure. We'll do that. No problem. The whole time is like, we're going to put this out in 1984. Don't don't worry mm-hmm. about it. We'll just do it in January. Then the official release was January 9th, 1984. Okay. Now. Yes, they helped MTV explode. MTV was already exploding from August of 1981, you know, into 1983. We know in December of 83, they had their big Asian Asia event Mm -hmm. that was amazing in that it was the first satellite broadcast on cable television. We've talked to Carl and we've talked to Jeff about it. Kind of amazing. Yes, but because John Wetton wasn't there, it didn't sound quite right. So it wasn't the big deal that everyone had hoped it would be. But then right around this time, Van Halen comes in with jump and while the video isn't extraordinary the sound is and now we're going from we're just going from like new romantics that the Duran Duran's the, the Spando ballets you know those kind of people into more rock now thanks to bands like Van Halen
2: and this is this is straight ahead American rock and roll at this point in time you know they're from california they're selling you this party all the time vibe eddie got what he wanted on the first the the intro 1984 and then into jump with the keyboards yep i I always thought it was interesting the beginning of the video no one's playing the keyboards.
0: Yes, of course not.
2: He's just playing the Frankenstrat at that point in time. And then I always thought that was weird. I'm like, well, who's playing the keyboards? Is mm-hmm. there another guy in the band? What's going on here? And then you see him playing at during the solo, and then that's it.
0: Yeah, and you, I think you see Dave like air playing the piano or the keyboards at some part in, mm-hmm. in there, like kind of saying, oh yeah, this is the synth part. The rumor is, and I think Greg Ranoff may have even talk to us about this on First Concert Memories, too but when they filmed that video they weren't all filmed together until the end of the day right like they, yeah they, they filmed everybody individually so they wouldn't get on each other's nerves or something <laughs> like that and so when you see them doing stuff on their own that was stuff that was filmed early and then when they're all together that's stuff that happened at the end of the day is that
2: right that's that's what i heard yeah because you know we we've we're just starting this out and we're already at each other's throats and then i've got i've got some notes here about how i think dave wanted it to be of course more about him and doing wha- like uh, little vignettes inside the video of him doing wacky things okay. some of those ended up in the panama deal But it's all like, you know, him riding the motorcycle, him driving the whatever that was, the 51 Plymouth or what. uh, Yeah, I'm sorry. 51 Mercury. Mm -hmm. And just about I think he saw that as a way to take them into being more like the Beatles where you would have like you like. Greg was talking about making a movie, just being more of an entertainer and not just singers or not just a band.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's, that's Roth's thing, you know? And yeah, he was with roadie Larry Hostler driving in the car. I was, I was wondering who that was. because It wasn't another member of the band. Well, At first I be? thought it was, was Alex, with him. you know, but no, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into jump here uh, before too long. Okay, And here's the thing, I mean, they caught a lot of flack for Diver Down being so short. I mean, it's like 31 minutes and like barely 31 minutes. Mm. Well, this is like barely 33 minutes. I mean, it's not that much longer, you know, and you had a lot more time to make it. Right. Now, what I thought, and
2: I thought the same thing, too, when I saw the runtime, I'm like, wait a minute, they got so much flack for Diver Down, and this is only, what, three minutes or two and a half minutes longer. There is a note in here about apparently that was one of Ed's things. He didn't want too much stuff on the record because, you know, the vinyl, if you put too much on there... degrades the sound quality right which i get which is a true statement but i mean there's there's nothing else on here and the singles which we'll get into here in a minute all the b-sides come from the record i don't think there was anything else hanging around at this point in time
0: no well i i don't know about that because we can get into that at the end Um, because it seems like there were some things laying around and they became some of them became different things later, but there are no covers on it. Whereas like half of the last album were
2: covers. Well,
0: yeah. so that was, was yeah. all original.
2: And that was a huge bone of contention. I don't think there was any way they were going to put a cover on this record or that would have been the end of the line right there.
0: That's right.
3: Yeah. You're, you're, I think you're right about that. Hey, this is Scott holiday from the rival sons. You're listening to the ugly American werewolf in London.
0: is famously called 5150 studios
1: mm-hmm. which
0: is the police code for someone who's like crazy and mm-hmm. flipped out lost their mind doing crazy stuff in fact there's a great <laughs> there's a great chips in like the opening scene there's this guy like driving around in his car he's going like 90 weaving in and out of people through the highway so they pull him over he's like oh no now she got me pulled over I'm, I'm gonna lose my job oh, so he starts pulling his car apart like he's ripping the door off he's ripping the steering he's like pulling it apart he's like i think we may have a 5150 on our hands here ponch you know <laughs> i'm like yeah 5150 there it is i know what it's that video. means i think we got a
1: 5150
0: punch. now to me and of course the first sammy album was called 5150 Mm-hmm. But here's what's ironic to me. What do you think about the opening track, the one-minute synth song, 1984?
2: It's only a minute and change long. It's, I think, a giant middle finger to, now that I've done a lot more research on this, to mm-hmm. Dave specifically, because it is only synth. I mean, I think it works. It's kind of cool. And it it kind of sets the tone for what we're going to do here. It's really kind of two things. You've got that bass that just kind of pulses And then you've got the other part that's on top of it.
0: I remember hearing it as a kid thinking, well, that's kind of cool. It's weird that it's its own song because it's so short and it has no Mm -hmm. lyrics, but it's an opening to an album kind of sets the tone, right? Uh, Yeah. And it's a little bit of a finger to Roth and even to Templeman who was on Roth's side during the whole, you can't use this because like he had the jump thing in like 1981. In fact, he was thinking about putting on Diver Down. They're like, nope, nope. That's too Cynthia. We're a rock band. You can't, you're just not allowed to do that kind of thing. But here's the thing that's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Black Sabbath had a killer album with Ronnie James Dio called Mob Rules that followed up Heaven and Hell. Mm-hmm. The first song on that album is an instrumental called E. 5150. Dun, dun, dun. now this is not as heavy as that but it's a little bit similar in some ways and then at the end when there's kind of this it almost sounds like hitting like the keys you know or hitting like the what's the thing that the drummers have that, that goes bring you know the, Oh, this, like
2: the, the chimes the
0: chimes yeah it yeah, yeah. goes like that if, oh. it, it sounds like you're hitting a couple a little bit of those at the end even though i think it's all electronic but there's there's a little bit of that any 5152 that's before it goes in a and mob rules. Mm. the big rock song on it and then this one it doesn't fade into jump it definitely stops there's space between it but then that goes into jump I've never heard anything referenced between van Halen and Black Sabbath but that came out three years before I'm just curious if Eddie uh,
2: if that was in the back of his mind when they toured doing... with each
0: other right yeah
1: mm-hmm.
2: and you didn't it was a big record there's no way he can say well I never heard that before you know you did so of course I mean maybe what one of the things that struck me when I was listening to this, because I mean, I, I've heard it before, but I mean, if I'm going to listen to the record, I, I may skip over this at the beginning. But it kind of sounds like your fifth grade field trip to the planetarium,
0: too. Exactly. Our universe is infinite. Whoa! <laughs> it's I put kind of mellow, very spacey in 2001. Yeah, you know, and a happy version of E 5150. <laughs> whereas, as much as I love. 51 50 from black seven it's it's evil and it's supposed to be (laughs) well and that's the thing too is this
2: was a a lot more accessible and happy and upbeat no doubt and i mean do you want to get into problems right off the bat here
0: well should we do jump and then get into the problems We can do that. Sure. Let's do jump because everyone growing up loves this song and they play this at my daughter's camp, you know, when mm-hmm. they're trying to get them riled up or, you know, like I know they played it during her basketball camp and she knows when it comes on the radio, she sings along to it. You know, that Roth was inspired by seeing a suicide jumper on the top of a building.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And that- I think the, the original title was go ahead and jump. Mm hmm. Something about, yeah, he's watching the guy stand on top of the Arco Tower who had a bad day, and it's like, and that's what this is for? Okay.
0: Yeah, go ahead and jump, man. (laughs) It's like, you're holding up traffic. I got to be downtown. (laughs) Oh, my God. But yeah, no, Ted and Dave didn't like the synths, and so Eddie just kind of held on to him. But yeah, he Roth remembered seeing a TV news report the night before about a suicide jump. They thought that one of the onlookers at such an event would eventually yell, go ahead and jump. And that sounds like America. In fact, today, I don't think anyone would be like, oh, don't do it. They'd all be like, yeah, do it.
2: Go ahead. I need to get this on the uh, Instagram reel.
0: Exactly. You know, we got 340 million people in this country. You jump. We got 340 million people in this country. What difference does it make? But let's not talk about suicide. Let's talk about having some fun, you know, getting out there and, and making the most out of life. And that's what jumps about.
2: Right. Sure. Sure
0: and it's all party all the time so it's great what did you think about this growing up when you first heard it
2: it was it was awesome it was the greatest thing ever it was so cool they were so cool the synths were cool but here's where we run into a little bit of a you know nostalgia is a hell of a drug yep if you were older than we were and this was not your first van halen record yeah. Would you have said, hey, this is great, like we did? Or would you say, what the hell is this? This is not Van Halen with these goofy scents and just the whole vibe of the thing.
0: Knowing me, I probably wouldn't have liked it. Right, but, I would but, say I would probably I would probably
2: be in the same boat. But since since was this was the first thing I ever heard, I can't I can't separate that from listening
0: to this. But I don't know. I mean, Panama, I would have loved no matter what. Correct.
2: Yeah, that's that's not that's not. I'm just talking about this track right. Talk right. about Panama Gen- Gen- yeah. is yeah is okay. not got up for discussion on that
0: okay yeah i don't know i mean it's a great pop rock song it really Mm -hmm. is watching eddie smile and be in the video and stuff and everybody go jump it's it's fun but yeah you can't separate the fact that i was 10 when i saw it if i was 20 and i've been listening to the first five band alien albums as a teenager and they give me this, I'd be like, "What?" yeah, the, yeah, yeah I, what the I got a feeling this? I'd be upset. Yeah. I think you're right.
2: Well, and especially too. Okay. So you got to figure out, you got to remember that this came out early. You didn't, you haven't heard any of the rest of the album. This right. is it. And if you thought this was going to be the whole record, yeah, you may have been a little bit disappointed.
0: Yeah. You're, you're probably right. And there's a note that Daryl Hall said, Eddie once told me that he copied the synth part of jump from kiss on my list. Like, because your kiss is on my list, and used Ooh. it to create jump. Okay. That is not very Van Halen. Yeah. Luckily, not- Daryl didn't have a problem with it, so he's not like seeking royalties or whatever. But yeah, that's not those two don't go together. But this
2: is, I think, where Van Halen doesn't get enough credit for everybody else because you get the you get the the synth part. But then, when Alex comes in with that original drum beat, that boom, 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 boom. Okay, that sells the heavy right there. Like that, that makes it. You know, it's not going to be super goofy, right? And I think he does a great job. And and we'll get into this a little bit later about filling in his part. And and I think he is. We must have talked about this before. I think he's extremely underrated as a drummer.
0: Yeah. No, he was a fantastic rock drummer. There's no doubt about it. The problem is he's got a brother. Correct. In the band. Mm-hmm. With the same last name. Yeah. Who doesn't look like a mongoloid? Oh. <laughs> he is one of the least attractive men in the history of rock, Alex Van Halen. Right. He makes you-
2: Getty Lee look like a model. Well, he was all at this point in time. He's always wearing sunglasses, right? Yeah. Like that's just his look. And then you see some of the old pictures without. And you're like, oh, now I know why. You- now I know why you stick to the sunglasses look. Yes, exactly. Goodness gracious, how are you guys related?
0: So yeah, now here's the thing. Because Anglis and Roth directed the video, mm. they got a little confident about what they were doing there and it won an mtv music award for best stage performance even, even though it wasn't technically on a stage like a stage they perform on, it was more on a sound stage right mm-hmm. but yeah and if you recall in the video right before they go into the final chorus 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 dave does a little oh right you remember that
2: i remember that not Weird. only do i remember it I can't listen to the song without thinking about that.
0: Exactly. Exactly. It's burned in your brain. Like Like it comes on the radio. You're like, you think they'll play it this time? I don't know if I ever heard it on the radio. No, I think it was just for, I mean, it
2: may have been the single maybe or the video, but I mean, I don't think they ever played the single and I don't think I've ever heard it. It was only ever in the video.
0: Exactly. But I I sing it every time mm -hmm. that it's on.
2: And there's a there's a little bit of a uh, misremembering or something about the lyrics too because I've got a note here that Dave said that he uh, that the roadie drove him around in the car and he thought of it and then Ted the Ted Teppelman states that he and Ro- he got pissed at Roth because he wasn't coming up with anything so they went out in the parking lot and he just beat the shit out of him until he came up with the lyrics that they needed. I gotcha. So
0: again, who knows? Well, you see. Dave doing some of his jumps and his big kicks in there. He dedicated it to Betty the Jet. Irkadies or Irkides. He's a big buddy of John Cusack's. He's been in a bunch of John Cusack films, usually as a not as a speaking role, generally speaking. But he's the one who kind of taught him the kickboxing. So if you've seen say anything where he's like in the gym and being a kickboxer and doing all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, that's real. He really can do that stuff. And I, I'm pretty sure Benny is in that one. And Benny was in he in uh, Gross Point Blank where john played a uh, an assassin the little guy who shows up to his reunion and he stabs him to death in the hallway that's benny okay uh he did a horror film called room i can't remember the name of it right now it was like room 6412 or something like that i can't remember what it was right and that guy was like a you know a little demon that was kind of running around (laughs) there he was also in the movie that had james woods and lou gossett jr when they were like doing a boxing yeah 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 Yeah, okay and i think he was the referee in that movie so you you see him once in a while but anyway i digress they say they spent more money on pizza than they did making that video
2: It, it looks very low rent now you can tell it was just it was just them whoever did the costuming which whenever i think of eddie van halen i always think of him either in that yellow a uh, striped sh- yep. uh, jacket or the dice shirt with no sleeves on it.
0: <laughs> or Dave with his, you know, different colored things and doing his kicks and Mouth and jump into the camera. Yeah, I-, I loved it. I have to admit, as a kid, I, I loved it. And sure. I wanted to get the tape, but I couldn't get a tape based on one song. Mm-hmm. I had to wait. So it wasn't I'll wait. It was I waited, I guess. Oh, but goodness. it did okay as a single Right. I mean, it sold over a million copies in the United States and went platinum in the UK. And I mean, you know, number one on the U.S. hot billboard, number one, mainstream rock. Even in the UK, it went to seven. And Halen typically doesn't do that well in the UK. But this song, I think, caught them, you know, and they went right. top 10 uh, a lot of other places around the world.
2: Very radio friendly. I could see why why it's caught on there. And and also I think very American at the time. Like, you know, you I don't know how much MTV they had there, but I can imagine that that it, they were selling kind of the American lifestyle or the American dream to these people. Like, oh, this is this is what happens every day in <laughs> Southern California.
0: Pretty much. Yeah. Now, Sammy didn't like to sing Dave's songs famously, mm-hmm. but he sang Jump because he liked it. And while we were living together and they did the uh, live right here, right now, mm-hmm. they did release Jump as a single with Sammy sing- sing- singing it. And it didn't really chart in the USA, but it did get 26th in the UK, which kind of surprised me. Did well in the Netherlands because that's where Van Halen's from. It's, you know, right. of course they're going to do well. But what's interesting is that alan fitzgerald is credited on the keyboards for that he was off stage whereas i thought that eddie always said he programmed it so it's me playing it's just programmed Mm -hmm. that's all but yeah i mean if you're doing it a tick slow or a tick faster that night the keyboards aren't gonna match so yeah it's it's live and he played with them from 91 so we saw them with him to hmm. 2004, again in 2007, again in 2012. He also played, I mean, he was in Montrose with Sammy, and he played Keys in Night Ranger.
2: Okay, and it was an offstage deal. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because I don't I don't remember anybody else there. So, okay, he's standing in the back or underneath or whatever playing that. And then I guess when Ed steps up to the keyboard, he takes a step
1: back.
0: Yeah, but he, he played on all Night Ranger's 80s albums, which are all their big ones. So a little bit that I did not know there.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
2: Hmm. And I, I think you're right. There is you do run that risk of pre-recorded stuff if something is off. Right. In the live deal, you're going to hear it real quick.
0: All right. Well, that's that's a huge one. Number one hit for them. Big mm-hmm. video. Let's move forward. Oh, right. The next song on side one is "Panama," one of the greatest rock songs in the history of ever. Yes. And here's correct. the thing: I had never heard "Ain't Talking About Love" at this point. Right. Right. So when I hear that heavy riff, "Mm, mm, 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 mm," I'm like, wow, what is that? That is awesome. Couldn't get enough of it.
2: And and I'm glad they tracked the record like this too, because I know the second single is I'll wait. Yes. Which is keyboard heavy also. Yes. I think they did a good job of abandoning that for now and going straight into more of the uh, the straight ahead rock stuff, because that would have gotten, I think that would have set the wrong tone. So yeah, this is this is awesome. The plane at the beginning is awesome because it makes no sense. I <laughs> think it was just a stock piece of footage they grabbed, but it it gave you a chance to get yourself set for the video too. You knew what was coming.
0: Yeah, you're right. But let's step back for a second because yes, jump comes out. Mm-hmm. It goes to number one in like February. Renoff was talking about that. How like when he bought tickets to see them, suddenly the album's number two and is this song is number one. So he's all excited about it but I'll wait was the second single. And I don't think I heard it until I bought
2: the album. Mm, Correct. Yeah. Cause I mean, if it, if it didn't have a video, it wasn't on MTV. And if it wasn't on MTV. Yeah. You can forget
0: about it. Yeah. So then, but so that comes out in December, gets big by February. I'll wait comes out in April. I have no knowledge of it, but Panama comes out in June and boom, right. All about it. Love it. And I, it's funny because he said, uh, you know, uh, Roth is like he uh, he got accused by a reporter of singing only about women and partying in fast cars. Mm-hmm. And then he realized, hey, I've never written a song about fast cars before. Why don't <laughs> I go ahead and do that? <laughs> and that is what Panama is all about. It, I guess he saw a race in Vegas called the Panama Express.
2: Yeah, that's what I have here. It was a yeah, it was a car, a drag racer a car called the Panama Express. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: He saw it. Now, while uh, House of Pain was the B-side for Jump, Girl Gone Bad was the UK B-side and Drop mm-hmm. Dead Legs was the US B-side. However, for I'll wait, that was reversed. Right. Uh-huh. Right. Girl Gone Bad was US, Drop Dead Legs was UK. So, they just kind of flipped those. That's not that uncommon. I know a lot of bands that have done that over the time. But the release dates were also backwards as well. Because Panama was released in the UK in April, kind of around the time of I'll Wait, whereas Panama was released at June 18th, 1984 as a single. So, yeah, that's that's to me is interesting. And I guess that's why the B-sides are what they are. Because they were released at the same time with the same B-sides at the time, right? Okay, yeah girl gone bad was released in the u.s in 1984 as a b-side and in the uk uh in 19 in april of 1984 as a b-side just with different Mm a-sides that's interesting that's a little weird but okay
2: There is there is controversy about the writing credits on here and who does what and there's also controversy about you know who plays or the bass parts did somebody have to sit there and teach the other person how to play I don't know but I'll tell you you cannot discount Mikey's harmonies
1: on this thing.
0: No, that's the Van Halen sound—is is him Correct. harmonizing with yeah. Eddie. Yeah, absolutely. And the video is nothing but fun. It's them on stage, acting silly. Dave doing his thing. They've got a wire that lets them swing around the stage,
2: right? Which I think that was the plane thing—was to to say, okay, you know, they're flying or something like that. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, you've got Dave doing his thing where he's got the he's got the boombox and he's pretending to swim and he's hamming it up. And then at the end, I guess everybody had to have a turn and Alex hanging upside down drinking a beer because you know you got to do something
0: exactly you know and mikey's got his jack daniels base on there yeah, was it
2: was that the first time we'd ever seen that
0: first time i'd ever seen it yeah i think so i mean i don't i don't remember
2: I, that was the first time i saw it too i don't know if that was the first time anybody would ever seen it though
0: and can you see yeah just over my head over here the, the little one right there yeah I, I went ahead and got a uh, a jack daniels base uh nice. a, a totem you know to have there Mm-hmm. Uh, I also got one for the Christmas tree. <laughs> it was filmed uh, at the spectrum over two nights in Philadelphia. Uh, okay. During the show and at sound check. And I guess a little bit more when they're at uh, in Providence, but fun video. And then there's the, there's the slowdown part. There's the bridge, you know, I can barely see the road from the heat coming off and you, this mm-hmm. that's his uh, Lamborghini. That's Ed's Lamborghini. He, he backed his car up to the studio and, and, and got that in there um, is that's, Valerie. That's a- in this yep. in this video, I don't think so. No, did I remember? No, she's not in this. Well, she's not a prominent role, but isn't she like sitting in the corner, like having a smoke while Ed's doing something? Or am I thinking of something else? Huh? I'd have to. I don't remember that. I'd have to go back and look. I feel like it is. Okay, her. Well, there you have it. Then
2: I always thought that that because you never, he didn't know what it was at the beginning, and mm-hmm. and uh, if you the the sound. And then if you watch the video, like with that, he's got the hairdryer in his face. Right. Okay. It's it's not the hairdryer. It's the car. And the car, I believe, is a 72 Mura, which is still one of the coolest cars ever made. And if my research is correct, Valerie actually bought that from Rod Stewart for Eddie as a present. Well, that's nice. Mm, right. Hey, honey, I got you a little something. Well, thank you, dear.
0: It's Christmas. I have to buy my own stuff for me and then hand it to my wife and say, this is Wrap what this you're up. getting me for Christmas.
2: Huh? So she doesn't just go out and buy you expensive cars?
0: She does not.
2: Mm. Although I think if she did, you'd be, you'd be pissed. You did
0: what? <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean they're they're on stage doing Panama, they're riding around in the murk.
2: And and this is where the yeah, this is where some of that other stuff was put in, like him, like the footage of Dave getting arrested, which was not not true. That was staged. And then the yeah, the the uh motorcycle part where he's cruising around and then yeah, in the car.
0: Exactly. Oh, okay. Yes, there's Valerie right there. When Eddie's at the piano in a white oh, tux blowing okay. smoke rings. That's Valerie sitting behind him. Yes, now I remember. Okay. Let's let's just uh, put this PSA
2: right now. Do not smoke cigarettes. They're bad for you. However, when he blows those smoke rings, I remember as a kid thinking, that's the coolest thing ever.
0: I know. My dad could blow smoke rings. I just thought that was great. Yeah. Anyway, so this hits big time. And I can tell you right now that at Hanover Basketball Camp in Hanover, Indiana, in the summer of 1984, Mm -hmm. this song was huge. And I don't know if Woody Harrelson was still there or not. I don't think he was quite on Cheers yet, but he may Mm. have already graduated. I'm not sure. Anyway, number two, mainstream rock. Number 13, Billboard. But number 61 in the UK? What's wrong with you people in England? No keyboards. Were you too busy listening to the Human League to listen to (laughs) Van Halen? There's not enough keyboards on this. I will pass. Now, here's the thing. you that said 61 UK. It says that on Wikipedia, but I went and found a chart for the UK that said it made it to 50. Oh, huh, all right. So you, that's why you don't always look at Wikipedia there, kids. But this is about, to me, the best song they ever did. Ain't Talking About Love is probably up there. Chuck Klosterman, who's a great rock writer and loves Van Halen, puts it at number four on the all-time list of Van Halen songs, but to me, this is this is about the best they ever did. This is close.
2: And the only problem now, too, is now every time I think of this, uh, there's the family guy deal where they're talking about they're running from the cops, and they're like, no, Panama rocks too hard. There's no way you're going to catch them. Oh, we're going to get them in the slowdown part, the uh, run <laughs> right. a little bit hot tonight. Oh, here we go. And then they jump the... There's no way they're going to do this unless it's the greatest harm, uh, the greatest harmony ever. And they <laughs> get over the Canyon. Ain't no stopping now. And then boom on the other side. Every time I think of that now, Anima. it's officer stick, <laughs> I got
0: to rewatch that, man. Yeah. So no, I, I love it. I think most Van Halen fans do better move on. Cause we're running. We're running. Yikes!
2: All right, let's go already.
0: Number four, top Jimmy other than 1984. It's the, shortest song on the album i have to admit i didn't really like this song growing up why not uh, i just thought that the I, first of all i don't know who top jimmy was and it was top jimmy and the rhythm pigs jimmy mm-hmm. was a guy who's played around la and gigged out and they never hit the big time because i think they were more into the party lifestyle than playing good songs and playing their instruments really well the tapping eddie does at the, at the start is kind of cool i didn't really know what it was
2: I just, you just didn't know uh, how he was doing it.
0: Yeah, I, I just I yeah. wasn't sure exactly what that was. I'm sure if I saw him do it, I would be more impressed with it. But I don't know. It's just it just seems like the 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 song's a little off it's to me. Tad,
2: yeah, it's a tad disjointed. Yeah, it's, there's
0: some solid guitar magic from Itty, Eddie Eddie, mm, but it's incoherent.
2: Right, and I think this was kind of an amalgam of a couple of different things. So the dude, there was a dude Steve Ripley that made a prototype guitar for Ed, and that it was some deal where you could like split the strings right and left, and that's why you, it sounds so cool when he does the harmonics. And right about this time, or maybe a little bit later, Ed did the music for that Cameron Crow movie, The Wildlife, yep. which is vastly underrated. There is a there's a piece of music called Ripley in there. I think that's what this was. It was like a, it was a instrumental. And then they like, no, we can use this. Let's put it together. So it does sound like about two or three different things. They kind of stitched together to make this track.
0: Well, and Ripley is confirmed to have become blood on blood and fire, which ended up on a different kind of truth. Oh, okay. Um, and, and maybe even a little bit of our way. I don't know. So anyway, yeah, that's the thing. I just, I thought it was disjointed. Uh, I didn't know what they're singing about it. And I used to sing my own version, Top Jimmy sucks, Top <laughs> Jimmy stinks, <laughs> he's got no hooks. You know, that That was the way I used to sing it.
2: Well, that was, I mean, if you only had this on tape, it was very, it was not super, unless you had a really advanced tape deck, you couldn't really easily skip songs. So yeah, yeah you'd have to put up with it to get to everything else.
0: Yeah. And look, Alex does some drummers. Look, it's a fast rocker, but it's not a Ooh. hard rocker. Yeah. to me it, so it,
2: it's it's it always sounded to me like they yeah like they, we've got this song we don't want it to be an instrumental put some lyrics in there okay something about top jimmy
0: which is about james paul conchick of top jimmy and the rhythm picks here's the thing this is the only song on the album Remember we did david bowie's let's dance mm-hmm. and there's eight songs in the album there are four singles and then the other four songs were the b-side so everything was released as a single in some way Right. with the exception of 1984 this is the only song that isn't an a or a b side from this album and i got a feeling they thought that it was going to be an a side so they wouldn't put it on the b side of anything oh, okay but i guess cooler heads prevailed at the record coming. It's like nah it's not that good and we've got four other songs that we can sell better than this so sorry
1: Woo! Got the love Woo!
0: All right, moving on from Top Jimmy, mm-hmm. not my favorite song, is to Drop Dead Legs.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Again, killer guitar magic from Ed, but these yes. lyrics are ridiculous.
2: <laughs> it's just who he is, right? I mean, what's it? Well, I mean, I, I don't understand but what's, he, what's he talking about. I don't get it. This is so on the nose. It's ridiculous.
0: <laughs> I know. Killer legs and a giant butt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Nice yep. white teeth. Yeah. When the night is through, I'm still in love with you. I mean, it's like Ed had all these fun little guitar parts and he didn't quite know what to do with them. So we mm-hmm. just kind of stuck them all in here.
2: Right. It's not the, much of a song really. It's, it, I think again, yeah, it was a piece of music or an idea and yeah, we need to make a song out of it. it uh, what I have here is it has something to do with Marilyn Monroe and the scene in Some Like It Hot where she's walking to the train and yeah. you see her uh ample yeah the steam comes off the train so dig that steam and then yeah she's wearing a dress with the
0: giant butt mm-hmm. displayed yeah this is very dave to me yeah correct with a bunch of ed cool stuff put in but it, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me and i don't know it was like ed wanted to put all these cool little guitar things in here and dave just wanted to talk about legs and a butt yeah. <laughs>
2: he already did the car song so now we need to move on
0: that's true
1: hi guys this is chris slade drummer of acdc and many others and you're listening to the ugly i mean really ugly werewolf in london
0: (laughs) but that is side one now i will admit that i would often listen to 1984 through panama and then hit the fast forward button to get to side two. Because I did not like Top Jimmy. And while Drop Dead Legs kind of had a cool riff, yeah, it still wasn't my favorite. I don't know. How about you?
2: Yeah, I would say I would say the same thing. The the riff on this thing is killer, but like, yeah, I could if it didn't, if it didn't have lyrics at all, it would be fine.
0: I'm with you there. But side two starts off incredibly hot. Mm-hmm. The drums on the start of Hot for Teacher, the longest song on the album. Mm-hmm are iconic right 30 seconds of his drums now usually if you told me there's a song coming the drummer's just gonna play the drums for 30 seconds before any guitars any lyrics anything and then at about that 30 second mark or so there's gonna be all this crazy guitar stuff long before you ever hear a lyric i'd say that does not sound like the kind of song i would like and yet it is one of the best rocking songs ever
2: This one can't get loud enough. When you hear it, when you hear the drums, first start, you know, it's time, you know, we're going to get that volume nice and loud because when the, the, the drum part is awesome, but when he hits the guitar, it's the greatest thing ever.
0: It's unbelievable. People like to talk about eruption and people talk about little guitars and people talk about mean streets and stuff. The guitar work on here may be the best that Eddie's ever done. And then it goes
2: goes back to what we were saying before. Hey, that's a killer drum part. Now step aside. Here comes the real star of the show. Exactly.
0: Unbelievable. And there's two. I mean, there's the beginning part, right? It's unbelievable. And then it goes into big old heavy riff. And I'm like, yes, now we're doing some hot rock and roll. This is awesome.
2: And uh, there was some interesting misremembering Miss, We don't know what's going on here that I found at some point in time they were saying that it wasn't even Alex playing the drums. It was the, it was the car again. And it was somehow they, they figured out how to the engine running. That's what that is. And then they said, no, that's ridiculous. He had this electronic drum kit, this Simmons drum kit that he could tune the, the bass pedal and the toms to sound exactly the same. That way you could play the same note, but more often. So it didn't sound different. I don't know. It's just uh again, who knows what was happening at that point in time in the who studio. Who knows?
0: Yes. Yeah. But I mean that's I mean, that's the those drums at the beginning, except for maybe in like thrash metal, which I was completely unaware of at the time. I've never heard any kind of drums like that before.
2: Right. Yeah. And this said, is one where if you said either jump or Panama, I can listen to that and and you know, yeah, they had a video and it was fun, whatever. I cannot listen to this song without thinking of the video. They go hand in hand forever in my head now
0: the video made the song yeah. it was very van halen you know, very and the story's very van halen too but again the, the video now look the the single may have been shorter than the album version and, and i think most of the singles were like that but the video was longer and you kind of see this waldo guy and he's getting <laughs> on the bus like sit down waldo and there's a bunch of weirdos and crazies on the bus but his mom was like you know, parting his hair and greasing it up. It's Wait, like, but
2: you didn't know what it was at the beginning. There's that, look that that.
0: Yeah, sound. <laughs>
2: what is she doing? Oh, that's yeah. the, that's the hair. Oh, and goes, then, it, oh
0: come on, mom. You know I'm not like other guys. You know that was Phil Hartman. I didn't until I, until I did research
2: for this. And then now that I hear it, I'm like, Oh, that's a of course that's Phil Hartman.
0: Yeah. It's like, once you know, you, you
2: can't right, right. Avoid it. Yeah. But, but one thing I wrote down too is, you know, so he gets on the bus and Roth tells him to sit down and then everybody stops what they're doing. Did you, did you take the bus when you were a kid? For like 10
0: long years. Okay. I just, it, it just
2: struck me back then. It was a, it was a shit show on the bus. Like there oh, was yeah. no, like as long as no one was like screaming or bleeding, They didn't really care. They would throw stuff around. People would get up and walk around. Like, how is this safe for one second? We had a lot, but I don't remember anybody dying. So we were fine.
0: Yeah, I guess. I I just remember being over an hour long, you know, each way. And I'm like, oh, this is and there'd be some old woman driving the bus who just scream at everybody all the time. Like, (laughs) oh god. But you're doing
2: it crisp 30 miles an
0: hour. Yes, exactly. But so a lot of it's in black and white until the teacher shows up and then like is basically a stripper Mm -hmm. uh, kind of thing Uh, in class. It was like, and then it's, it's in color. And there were two just foxy models in the video. I've got their names here. One was Donna Rupert, who was the 1981 Miss Canada pageant runner up. Oh, all right. Uh, She was the chemistry teacher. Okay. And then Lillian Mueller played the physical ed teacher. Mm. And both of them, of course, tear off their dresses to reveal a bikini. I think that the Miss Canada, Runner up did have the sash on her, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but they had those four mini Van Halen kids, right? Mm-hmm. The, the ones who kind of looked like right the guys in the band. It was just fun. And it was all over MTV. What was this released in August of 1984? I think. And um uh and it was a blast. Now, here's the thing they could have put Top Jimmy on the B side because they hadn't released it yet. Instead, they put Little Dreamer on the B side from the first album. It's huh. kind of kind okay. of weird.
2: Yeah, that is a little strange. Yeah, although, may I mean, it might not be the worst idea because if you put that out there, maybe you get a little heat for the first bump sales on the first record again.
0: That's right. But now we've talked about the early guitar, you know, solo or whatever. The one in the middle is extraordinary. And here's the thing: they film it with Eddie like walking down the uh, lunchroom tables or whatever, doing it. Yeah. But those were only so long, so he had to do it twice. Like he did it, <laughs> came down there, rah, rah, and then it they around, had to yeah. kind of. Start it again, you know. So mm. That's just so very early MTV. Like we're not going to have enough room for you to do this. Just shoot it twice. All at no once, so we'll just do it twice. You know? Yeah.
2: And it was it was uh, interesting too because in the in jump he's playing the Frankenstrat, right? And then he that by we've gotten to this point now he's got the Kramer fifty one fifty guitar. So I don't know whether he didn't have it at the time or it, was, it wasn't, it was mean, I don't know, maybe he just didn't have it that day or what the deal was. But now, the to me, that's always the iconic Eddie Van Halen guitar is the Kramer with the hockey neck on it, mm-hmm. the hockey stick neck. Absolutely, yeah, no doubt about it. So it's a even fun video. Even though that's not all that he played on this, on this record Album? to make right. it. Yeah, which I always thought, oh, he just has the one or two guitars. No, he had a boatload of them. He just only played the the striped ones on stage that's right that's exactly right
0: so it's a fun video it's one you probably couldn't make today because no, it's too sexist not. or whatever Correct. it objectifies women which is a terrible thing to do and then you know at the end of the video they kind of show what happens to everybody right mike becomes a sumo wrestler uh-huh. eddie becomes a basket case locked up al becomes a gynecologist. Yes, and, and Dave becomes a game show host, which is probably what he ought to be doing now anyway. Well, I, I, I wrote down, is that what he really wanted? You know, that's what he he
2: saw himself as or something at that point in time. Because there's the there's the dance number in there in the middle that is clear no one wanted to be there except for Dave.
0: I know, and apparently the crotch grab <laughs> got like, you know, a black line over it, Ooh. you know, for a while there before they finally said, eh, you know, we can't fight everything. It's not the worst thing that's happening in this video. Yeah, so you know, exactly. It. And no one's ever, no one's really sure whatever became of Waldo after graduation. <laughs> but they're like, because he had this limo and this like fur coat, they said, well, did he become a pimp? I didn't really make that leap, but.
2: Man. No it's uh, come on I mean you can you can beat that to death but no it was just one of those fun things like yeah wouldn't it be funny if the dude who was the total nerd ended up being this big time person that's I think all that was supposed to be
0: I mean didn't like Ivy leaguers you know like in the 1920s like they wore the big ivy right. you know being codes or what? yeah that's that's what it seemed like to me but here's the thing it went to like i never knew this because i thought this was a huge hit because on mtv it was a huge hit they played Ooh. it every hour on the hour it only got to like number 56 on the charts really interesting yeah i would
2: have thought it would be up close to the top
0: and in the uk it didn't chart at all because you losers don't have mtv back then, so you don't see the glory of van halen and their sexist video but it reminds me of uh, all the incredibly
2: hot teachers i had when i was a kid oh wait oh wait not even close
0: which sucks you know because i gotta tell you as my daughter's been growing up now she has had some pretty cute teachers over the last five or so years I'm mm-hmm. like, where were you when I was growing up? Not to mention, my teachers always had that, like, prison guard mentality. Like, oh, God, there's 20 of them. There's one of me. Right. If I lose control of two of them, yeah, I lose control. There's a riot and I'm done. Whereas now they want to be your friend and they care about your feelings. And I'm oh, like, there, yeah,
2: there was none of that back then. Feelings? Yes. Yeah, so you you need to feel like
0: shutting up. That's what you need to feel like right now. Shocking that that, that did not go higher than it did. I mean, mm. shocking me but next is i'll wait which somehow was the second single i had no idea and we already mentioned how they did the b-sides and when it was released in the uk versus the us no video for this jackson why i don't know Are they don't too know. busy touring
2: they they could have been. I think that this was maybe a bone of contention. Also, I think Warner Brothers wanted this to be the second because it had the synth jump was big. So let's put this one out. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I didn't realize either is that here's a interesting if you interesting conflict of interest here. Ted Templeman was also a VP of Warner Brothers at this That's point right. in time. So not only the so it's like are you doing what's best for the band? Or are you doing what's best for the record company? So I th- I don't know why they never made a video for this, and I don't even remember even hearing this one until I found the record itself.
0: Yeah, I, and I've heard it on the album. Si- I mean, on the radio since, and I probably right. heard it later in '84. But I promise you, I did not hear it before I heard Panama, mm-hmm. a- unless I heard it and just didn't know what it was, but. No, i i don't recall it at all and it's weird to me that they didn't make a video when they already knew how big videos were and jump did so very well you know mm-hmm. now i always liked it i i mean i know it's a little keyboard heavy but it's still kind of a hard rocking song even with all that synth in it are you real? it's so hard to tell
2: It's a little darker. It's not it's, yeah, not, it's not poppy. Not <laughs> yeah, correct. It doesn't sound the same. I think that that Al gets to be showcased here a little more, which is cool. And it's it's either this or it's uh Push comes to shove off of Fair Warning that are one or one and two of the most underrated guitar solos that he did. Mm. It's think it's not right. fast, but it fits really well, and it's I really like this one.
0: I do too. I, I I've always really liked it, and I think it's I think it's cool, you know. It mm-hmm. it did hit number two mainstream rock. It went to number thirteen Billboard, but number eighty five in the UK. So, but now it was the third single in yes. the UK, not the second. But mm-hmm, so maybe mm-hmm. they're already sick of Van Halen at that point. I don't know.
2: <laughs> so here we go again with who wrote this song. Because now there's all kinds of different stories on this one too. Apparently, they had the they had the music, they had no lyrics. Templeman is now beating up on Dave to get him something. He has nothing, so Ted calls his old friend Michael McDonald, who yep. writes the lyrics and puts it all together. Now you can say, well, that's not. You can't tell me that's true. His name's not on the album. And when McDonald figured that out, he was like, and here's a letter from my
0: attorney. Yeah, correct.
2: That is not in dispute. But yet at the same time, Roth can look at you with a straight face and tell, oh, no, it was a picture that I saw in a magazine of a woman wearing Calvin men's Calvin Klein underwear. And I was so fascinated by him. Like, you didn't write
0: this at all. And you're going to make this story up. Yeah. Kind of silly. I think this is the best use of keyboards on the album. Yes, you know it's not as poppy as Jump, and the drums during the breaks are mm-hmm. iconic. I mean, yeah. Al does a great job there. I don't think it's as cool a guitar solo because the synths dominate, but the song is great. I, I love it. I, I think it's a killer song. I'm trying. I'm looking here about how uh,
2: Warner Brothers wanted the keyboard success of Jump, so they rushed to make this the second single, no video, but still hit number thirteen. Is what I have.
0: Yeah, that's right. And apparently, yeah. Roth and Templeman wanted it off the album. Didn't even want it on 1984, but huh. Okay. Eddie insisted, no, this is good. I'm telling you. And if it got to two mainstream, 13. 13- billboard he made the right call but maybe that's why no video was made because dave's like i'm not making a video for this one and that might have been it but i mean i feel like they toured early i mean greg saw them what in april of 84 or something like that
2: i think so yeah so
0: they were busy touring they may not have time to break away and do a video i don't know they may jump i mean i'm sorry they made panama while they were on the road so i don't know i don't know anyway let's move on all right song three on the second side song eight Eight overall, if you're counting 1984, is Girl Gone Bad. Mm -hmm. Now, we always talk about how you always forget about one song. I didn't forget about this song. Okay. But I didn't love it back then, and I have a better appreciation for it now. So it's not like I forgot the song. I knew it was on here, but it's better now than I remember it.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I would say the same thing. The other, the problem too is that, I mean, you've already been through all of these other ones. You've been through Panama, you've been through uh, Jump, you've been through hot for teacher and then you went through i'll wait at this point in time you're kind of a little bit gassed here yeah but yeah th- so th- these last two songs were better than i remember them
0: yeah and this is a hard rocker i mean yeah. after i'll wait you know there's no synth here this is more like mm, this is and i like this much better than drop dead legs mm-hmm. i can hear mike a lot better on this as yeah. far as his bass and his harmony is is great on here so i mean this is this is pretty good it's in the
1: Uptown. Now she's waking on that street.
2: i think this is the fastest track on the record this, this is starting to sound more like old school van halen now
0: yeah eddie actually told an interviewer that he wrote this he was in a hotel room with valerie and she was asleep and so he woke up like during the night again this is something that it does uh, and had an idea but he didn't want to wake val up so he went into the closet <laughs> and recorded it on tape in there nice well i mean at least he's considerate yeah exactly well he was back then and- <laughs> i guess you know he's still trying to make it work at that point but mm-hmm. I, I like the harmonics and tapping that he does to kind of yeah. start this one off i mean this is like i said it's better than i remember it is hard rocking it is got good riff on it i may not have loved this and again yeah i probably again at this point or the first two may have fast forwarded through the end right to get back to jump in panama but this is one i wouldn't skip now no no Absolutely not. And I I was, I was, when I
2: started into this, I'm like, oh yeah, there's those two at the end that don't, I don't really remember.
1: Definitely
0: a lot better than I thought. But House of Pain does wrap up. And this is kind of a favorite of Van Halen fans is a deep cut. Mm -hmm. Because it dates back to the early
2: club days. And, And you can definitely hear it. Like we, like if you didn't, if I didn't know this song and you just played it for me off the, and she said, this is Van Halen. Where's this from? I would have said it's, it's early when you hear that riff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right there. The thing is, I think the vocals are a little muddy here. I, I feel like they're not as clear as the rest of the album. Okay. So it makes me wonder if those were laid down a long time ago and then they didn't do anything with them. And then they said, okay, well, we've got the vocals. All we got to do is, you know, record the, the music bit. Hmm. I don't know. And maybe it was just they, for whatever reason, the vocals didn't come through that day. I'm not sure. I've got a note here that it was mixed during the Diver Down
2: sessions. So you're, you're right. Maybe they just had it hanging around mm-hmm. and they just grabbed the tape and slapped it together.
0: Okay. Well, that's a good note because that it sounds different than the vocals okay. on the rest of the album to me. And maybe that's why it's last because it's not as clear as the rest of them are. Mm-hmm. But the drum bits in the middle are good when Dave is doing, ah, ah. Mm-hmm kind of bit there it's not bad it's not great it's
2: okay so i mean if it's the last song on the record you know you you can't expect too much from it it's for a last track it's it's not bad
0: not bad it's not great (laughs) it's one that had been hanging around for a while and like you say they had it at the last session so now they've got it now but i want to talk about some songs that i guess were done around this time and yeah you you may be right in that they were made for like the wildlife movie which featured a hamburger doing everybody wants some right uh no that was um, that was uh was that i think that was better off dead that was better off dead with john yeah, cusack two john right. cusack appearances in this show <laughs> you're welcome to come on anytime you want john but yeah so all right tracks recorded for the album that remained unreleased or were renamed mm-hmm. according to a warner brothers memo from august 24th 1983 something called baritone slide lie to you ripley anytime anyplace forget it Fifty one fifty special and anything to make it right, which I guess was just synth. Okay. And then there's a later memo from September that adds an eighth title. Won't let go needs lyrics. So I don't know. I mean, some of these have become other things, but but I don't know.
2: And I wonder too, The the what was the top of the world from the Four Unlawful Carnal Knowledge album? That was the end of Jump. It was the same. The, that end riff at the end was the same as that. So I wonder if, was that, did they write that off of it? Or was that another separate deal that they
0: just kind of slapped in at the end of Jump? Good question. I don't know. I don't know either. But no, Wildlife is kind of underrated. It's a Cameron Crowe film. It had Mm -hmm. some young talent in it, like Chris Penn. And um... Stoltz
2: was in that, wasn't he?
0: Uh, yes, as was, uh, Leah Thompson was in it Oh, and Elon Mitchell Smith, who's probably best known either for chocolate wars or for uh weird science, I would say is number one. Yeah. This was his kind of follow-up to fast times at Ridgemont high. And he did get. Uh, but I remember Ronnie Wood having a little cameo in it, like he went and grabbed something out of the refrigerator or whatever. Let's see, wildlife song was by Bananarama, but the instrumental Donut City was the only Eddie Van Halen track appearing on the official soundtrack. So maybe Eddie was trying to do a bunch of stuff, but none of it really made hmm. the list, you know.
2: And and I wonder too, like I, I haven't seen that movie in a million years, but I wonder if he did stuff that's not really a song you know like kind of you know we're driving in the car and they play a little music and a little that's, bit
0: yeah yeah but i haven't seen that i mean that used to be like late night cinemax kind of fodder yeah. back in the late 80s i haven't seen that in forever but it had a killer i mean look it's camera crow so you know it's going to have cool music on it and had prince and madonna and billy idol and jimi hendrix and stuff on it but anyway that's 1984 well, it's a no, diamond selling album, Jack. Now, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Let's Can we talk about a little
2: more of the craziness here for a second? Oh, sure. Because again, the, the story gets a little convoluted because I guess at this time they were not super excited with Templeman and what he was doing. So the story is that, that I have is that Templeman was pissed. He didn't know where the, he needs to master this record and the tapes are gone. He can't find them. The story is that Eddie and Don Landy are mastering at fifty one fifty, and so Ted goes over there. No, Don Landy. Yeah, where are, the ta- to... where are the tapes? Where's Don? Oh, he's. I don't. I don't know. He's. He's somewhere else. He's like hiding in the garage, and he, they've got like walkie talkies and everything. They were hiding from Ted Templeman because they didn't want him to finish this record, and so of <laughs> course they're telling you, oh, well, I don't know. But then apparently Mick Jones and oh, I know. And then and then Landy said he was holding him hostage or something. The tapes and they're like, "Well, that can't be true." And then Mick Jones apparently said he did the same thing during 5150. He took the tapes and just bailed because he's a maniac. <laughs> so, good times. So again, you know, you're trying to finish this zillion dollar project and everybody's, you know, "Oh, let's let's do this to it. Let's finish this up. Let's do it somewhere else." And apparently Templeman like he grabbed they weren't the master tapes, they were something else. And went over to Sunset Sound to mix it by himself from scratch. And then all of a sudden the tape showed up. So just I think they were just out of their minds at this
0: point in time. Everybody yeah. was doing their own thing. It sounds like it. Yeah. And between the booze and the drugs and the girls. Right. And 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 the, the record executives were like that. It wasn't like the band is crazy, but we've got the record people to help rein them in. They're doing the exact same <laughs> shit. You know, so there's no parents there's no grown-ups there right you know (laughs) to rein anybody in and of course eventually i guess mike got written out of the songwriting credits Uh,
2: well okay so then that's the that's the story too is that now eddie is mad because michael according to him doesn't do anything he doesn't write any of the music he he barely shows up you know unless you yell at him and tell him to come over and and do something no one except for Eddie Van Halen has ever had a bad thing to say about Michael Anthony no one so I can't and he he won't comment on it he just has never said anything as far as I know I don't know I think he was just having a hard time and and my problem with that too is so if what you're telling me is true you were super mad about that situation, but you were totally cool with giving Alex an equal share for not really doing anything. So,
0: yeah, well, I mean, look, I, I think Alex's drum parts on here is are killer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Eddie had to say, do this, do that. Right. The fact of the matter is, songwriting, according to ASCAP, is 50% melody, 50% lyrics, mm-hmm. which means really the songwriting should have gone to Eddie and Dave. Correct. Or 50 50. 50. Or Right, right. Well, and Correct. Michael McDonald on aisle yeah. Wait, yeah. But they always had done it a quarter to everybody, right? Correct. Which usually spells peace and harmony within the band, right? Right. It's the way U two does it. They've never had a breakup. It's the way REM did it. They never had a breakup. I mean, Bill Berry retired, but they didn't have right. any problems or anything like that. But it's not the case for Van Halen. They did it that way, and things still didn't work out. And they changed these singers. And there was harmony for a while, mm-hmm. and then it didn't work out again. So, you know, the common theme there is Eddie, we know he had alcohol problems, we know they used some drugs sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mike probably did too. I mean, he has a Jack Daniels basically that <laughs> but he made on his own. It wasn't like they came to him and
2: said, hey, here's you know, you can go ahead and do this. He was like, I love Jack Daniels so much. I'm going to put it out there on stage for everybody. Okay. okay. Well, no,
0: he did it first, but then eventually he did go to Lynchburg and get their graphics. Right. And and do it okay. right, but yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, at first he's like, I want a Jack Daniels base. So eventually, Jack Daniels like, yes, come yeah. on down. We'll we'll do we'll it do right, it correctly. For you. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But um, they
2: didn't they didn't say to him, Hey, we've got this base that we'd love you to use, and he's like, Man, nah, okay, whatever. It was the other way around.
0: Yeah, is he loves it. And generally, when you love alcohol, there can be problems.
2: And that thing that's in the back of your mind that you probably shouldn't say, you're going to say it.
0: But Dave seems like the girls and coke guy to me although he okay. was busted for buying a dime bag and he went from diamond oh, david Lee Roth yeah. to dime bag david yeah. Lee roth which is kind of funny if you ask me yeah i just think at this point in time
2: everybody was they were trying to go different ways eddie eddie was moving into different sounds that he wanted to do i think dave wanted to keep it simple but also like greg runoff was saying like make a movie and and just be more of an entertainer than just a a singer Singer. right and uh, yeah nobody was really having any of that and i think alex was just along for the ride like he's gonna he's never gonna say anything against eddie it's always the two of them that's right so basically you've got maybe three camps there
0: yeah maybe and if the van halen brothers start speaking a dutch to each other then you know you're really in trouble yeah you don't know what they're saying they say we need to kick this guy out of you don't know what they're saying you know they might be saying no we need to go faster we need to go slower but they might be saying screw this guy he, he doesn't get any vote. we're just going to do what the hell we want to do and don't worry about what he has to say
2: so then i wonder too if if ed was upset about the royalties you have to imagine dave probably was too i mean because i mean it, in that scenario that you just said he should be getting 50 percent of the royalties and not 25 so right at some point in time that's got a grade on you
0: and and though he gets a hundred percent of the sensible shoes royalties nice that doesn't sell very well that doesn't get played very often you know his his solo albums especially after the first one eat' em and smile right th- the rest of them kind of went nowhere
2: what's the what's the one-off of uh because if you listen to if you listen to something like an album on Apple music mm-hmm. when it's over it keeps playing but they just pick something else yeah. So it was. What was the one from? It was off Skyscraper, just like Paradise came uh-huh. on. That's not a very good song. <laughs> not only is it not a very good song, it's very, very weak in the in the middle parts. Like Steve Vai, he's always going to be Steve Vai. He can play the guitar like no one else, right? But it's that it's that middle part that's just very generic. You can tell that without Ed and without Alex on drums, even though again, Greg Bissonoff is fantastic. If he's running the show by himself. There's a very big drop-off between the songwriting and how it sounds.
0: Gotcha. Anyway, this was it. This was the high point mm. for Van Halen. I mean, as far as all over MTV, selling tons of records, cultural importance. This was it. After this, Roth splits, goes and puts that band together. Van Halen, and Sammy, and they continue to do well. And I like those Sammy albums
2: right yeah they definitely got the definitely more successful on the van halen camp than on the Roth solo side
0: but they never quite hit the heights of 1984 that's for sure you know and number two is the highest they ever went with roth at least during the first run whereas Mm -hmm. all the sammy albums went to number one but they didn't sell quite as many and they aren't regarded by the fans as as cool so Closing
2: thoughts here. What what, are you, what is your overall thought on this record?
0: I dig it. I don't think it's as good as the first album, but it's different because of all the keyboards. Mm-hmm. It's better than Diver Down, which was its predecessor, which sold very well, like 5 million copies sold or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. It's got some of Eddie's very, very best work on it. It's sad that it was over from a lot of standpoints, but they did go more keyboard. There's a lot of keyboard all over 5150. A lot of it. And Dave is a showman. He's not a singer. He's a performer. He's an entertainer. He's not going to blow you away with his voice or his in-depth lyrics. He's there Mm -hmm. to party. He's there to have a good time and make sure you have a good time. There is a difference Mm -hmm. between a singer and a front man.
2: This this one's hard for me because it always has that special place in my heart. Yeah, yeah, I understand that some of the some of the older records they rock a little harder. They're a little darker, but I think overall this is not a bad record at all. It's got some great tracks on it. Even the B-sides are not horrible. There I remember Eddie Trunk was saying something about how, you know, if you if this was the first one you heard, you kind of get it washes over you a little bit and and you don't see it for what it really is. I think this is a pretty good record
0: you're right it's hard to separate the childhood nostalgia from it yeah and seeing those videos on mtv and thinking they're hilarious and fun and everything it wasn't till 1988 or so that i discovered van halen one mm. like oh my god listen to eruption <laughs> oh my god listen to ain't talking about Love. like this is an amazing album it's one mm. of the best debuts of all time it should be diamond and i think that 1984 helped it get to diamond probably I, yeah Because this went diamond by 1999, which means it's been 25 years since it hit 10 million in sales in the U.S. So how many more has it sold since then? How many streams, how many digital downloads? Well, that's our take on Van Halen's 1984. I can't believe that it's 40 years old. I know how old that makes me. But the summer of 1984 was special in the development of my rock and roll love. And 1984 by Van Halen, Panama, Jump, Hot for Teacher, I'll Wait. They played a huge role in that. And it was huge for MTV. And yeah, you probably couldn't get those videos made today because they're a little too sexy for some people. But it was a lot of fun back in the day. And I love the music, and I still do. And I don't know if this is Van Halen's best album of all time, but it's the one that really put them on the map as a pop rock juggernaut. It's also the one that helped break up the band, which led to endless debates on who do you like better, Sammy or Dave. We're not into all that. We just like the music that they make and are glad that they made it. And the world would be very different without Van Halen's 1984 in it. So we're happy to celebrate it and we hope you enjoyed our take on it. And we need to know, folks, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? You have to let us know. Email us. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. Let us know the bands, the concerts, the albums, the DVDs, the rock properties you want to hear about. Thank you so much to Pantheon Podcast for making us part of the family. Thanks to our buddy, Nige Savage, for the new cool intro music. And thanks to our great partner, RareVinyl.com, where if you use the code UGLY, you can save yourself 10% off your whole order. Years just getting going here on The Wolf. we got a lot of stuff in store for you. So be sure you stay tuned. You subscribe and download wherever you get your podcasts. If you're thinking about it, guys, give us a positive review. It just helps us find more rock and roll fans like you. And until next time, be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive.